Is you are you using the right microphone, Sam? He's using the right microphone, folks. Welcome back to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. We are getting ready to start chapter eight. Very, very exciting stuff. We got tons of parables in this chapter. We're gonna be hitting up one of them today. And how are you doing, Sam? I'm I'm okay. My question for you is who's winning in the race watermark fort worth or front porch report are we getting through the uh, the book of luke faster than they are we are still a bit ahead this past okay, sunday okay. we just started we just started chapter seven at at my church and so as long we as gotta we gotta step up as long as we get, stay as long as we stay on it you know do do maybe more than one episode per month we should be yeah. in good shape yeah, that that's on me. That's on me. I had a uh, had exams, but it's okay, man. I'm just happy to be uh, here and diving in. Hello, and welcome to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. This season, Sam and I are making our slow way through the very rich, very dense Gospel of Luke, where we are seeking to tease out questions such as, what does this text say about God? What does it say about people? And what does it say about the Gospel? We've been practicing this Discovery Bible Study method for years now, and it has truly blessed our lives. I hope that you get the opportunity to answer these questions along with us as you listen to the text, and that you can gather with a group of friends to share what you've learned with each other, so that as a community we can grow in our faith. Let's uh, let's go ahead and open it up. We're going to be, as you said, Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you want to follow along, and I hope you would, we are going to be reading out of the CSB, or the Christian Standard Bible. And uh, Taz, you want to take us away? All right, I'll start us off in verse 1. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. As a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to see Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? So he said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. 
The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the seed and the rocks are those who hear, receive the word with joy, having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring, producing fruit. All right, so coming out of actually reading the text itself, what are some initial observations that you have, Sam, or any questions that it brings up for you? Do I dare say the the a word and the c word i don't i don't know if we want to go that far but i feel like this this opens up the a word and the c word if you know what i mean i i do not know what you mean uh the 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 uh arminianist and the, uh, the calvinist oh uh, yeah those, those words I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I want to open that, that box, but that's the questions that come to my mind right mm-hmm. now. I don't know if that, I, that's a debate I, that's been going on far too long. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, see, let's see if this is one of the questions you have in mind, because this, this occurred to me as well. Do I, do I have any control over what kind of soil I am? Ooh, ooh, that's, that's even deep. That, that's like, Because... Mm. As a group of people teaching the Bible, right? That's kind of what we're trying to do. We're not teachers necessarily. We're studiers. But, you know, as we want to draw out applications and things from this, it's like it, one interpretation is the, the, the Calvinist version where you are a type of soil and you don't really have any choice over that. And so you're either going to grow or you're not going to grow. And then the more Arminian approach would potentially have you say, well, you can control which type of soil you are, you know, produce in yourself a, a good, fertile, non-rocky, non-thorny soil so that the word of God can grow up within you. And I don't know that either of them, if either of those options is the right one, because if you don't have control over the type of soil you are, then why would Jesus even teach us this? But if you have ultimate control over the type of soil that you are, then that means that anyone who doesn't believe, it's their fault, right? And I don't know if I would necessarily go that far either. Yeah, um, that's that's a lot deeper than uh, I even thought about. Um, you know, the, the question is of perseverance of the saints and, you know, the... Uh, the good old uh, Southern Baptist that's uh, still within me, uh, you know, screaming once saved, always saved. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of that statement. I think the sentiment attached to perseverance of the saints, I find to be biblically accurate, but I, I don't, it's typically not used in the, the best way possible. It's used as an excuse for sin. So mm-hmm. man, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to be on. This is if we're in the we're in the like questions and problems with the text section. This is this is 
you know, and what's funny is, you know, you're reading this and you're like, okay, I think I know where this is going, but I, I don't know exactly what it means. And then Jesus in verse 11 is like, this is the meaning of the parable. And you're like, it's still not clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think that question right there is a great one to put down in uh, if you're listening on Spotify, if you go into your player and scroll up, there's a place for a question. Uh, I'm going to speak to my future self and say, put this as the question down there. If you have any ideas or if you have a thought on whether we have control over the kind of soil we are, please share your thoughts with us down there. Or if you're not listening on Spotify, you can send us an email or tweet at us. Um, but yeah, I really want to hear what everyone has to say on this because that's definitely a divisive issue, an important one, but one that I honestly don't have an answer I feel confident enough to really hammer home on. Mm. So, so Taz, as we, we move from this section to you know the standard Discovery Bible study format, what does it say about God, what does it say about people, etc.? I feel like this is, is, is fairly ripe. Uh, but what do you, uh, what do you see about what this says about God? Yeah, I'm going to start off by giving a bit of a disclaimer. If you are in attendance at First Baptist Church in San Marcos, you may remember a few weeks ago, um, Pastor Chad doing a message on the Matthew version of this parable, um, of the, of the sower. And so a few of my points here are going to be related to points that he talked about in that. So just given credit where credit is due, that he kind of got my mind turning on some of these things. But I think it, that it is really interesting that the sower in this parable even put seeds on the path or in the thorns or in the rocky soil. Because if you think about it, that's just a bad return on investment. Like, you know that the seeds on the path aren't going to do anything. Like, if you're just throwing stuff out there, like, if you want to be careful and make sure that you're getting a good return on investment, you would put it all in the good soil. But God is a kind of God who is going to give every person the chance to respond, even if the odds of them actually responding positively to the word are low or even zero. And just the fact that he gives everyone a chance, you know, he gave Pharaoh a chance. The same way that he gave Paul a chance by coming to him miraculously and knocking him on his butt, he, came, he gave Pharaoh a chance and get, did all these miracles to try to show him the nature of his power compared to the power of Egypt's gods. And even though the odds of Pharaoh obeying God's word were low to zero the entire time, God still presented himself before him. And in the same way, you know, in this, this sower is putting seed on every type of ground, just in case. And I think that that says something really encouraging to us about the kind of God that we serve. If we ever wonder, you know, does he really care about me? Well, he cares about everybody. He's going to present his word to everybody. Mm. Man, I think that's a really good point. And all too often we, you know, kind of have this class of individual, whoever this is, and, you know, any given person's mind who like, that's, that's pearls before swine. I'm not gonna, you know, there's no sense evangelizing, you know, last, uh, couple weeks back, I went down to South Padre Island to do a mission trip, uh, called beach reach where we literally are, are giving rides to drunk people all over South Padre Island. And we're talking with them about Jesus and we're feeding them pancakes. And it's a really cool story. Uh, if you have access to the internet, Baptist General Convention of Texas did a 
article about everything that went on. So you could just type in Beachreach, BGCT, Baptist Journal Convention of Texas, and there's an article that'll pop up. Um, it's really good. A friend of mine named George wrote it. Shout out to George. Anyway, but all too often people will, will say that those are people who, you know, oh, you're wasting, it's pearls before pigs. You're wasting your time. Why are you, why are you trying? You know, they're drunk. They're, you're crazy. They're down there for, you know, all sorts of nefarious purposes. And, and man, I, I mean, it, it was, it's always amazing. And I don't have the numbers in front of me and it's not even about the numbers, but you know, we saw over a hundred people come to know the Lord. We saw, I think we had 40 baptisms, you know, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, that's grungy, uh, <laughs> you know? Uh, so man, I love that point that like, even if it's someone that, that we as society, even we in the evangelical Christian church, whether it's, you know, LGBTQ or whether it's oftentimes inmates or criminals, you know, whoever we have othered in the process, God is, is going to spread soil there. So, uh, or spread seed there. I really, I think that's a beautiful point. Um, for me, uh, I'll keep it simple um, because I'm a man of many words and that's not always the best thing. What this tells me about God is that you have to be in a correct mindset to understand the gospel. And what I mean by that is, you know, the disciples are asking him, what does this mean? And he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He's not meaning that literally, he's referencing Isaiah and referencing the willful ignorance of uh, the Israelites um, who were not listening to the prophet Isaiah. Right. So, you know, for me, I, I grew up hearing the gospel and, and grew up around church and didn't understand it till I was 21. And so, you know, for a long time I looked, but I didn't see and I heard, but I didn't understand. So, yeah, God works in weird ways. As I talk about uh, my journey, and I am people. Uh, Taz, what uh, what do you see that this says about people? Hello, people. I'm Taz. <laughs> I I'm gonna draw this one specifically from what the parable says about the thorny ground, about how other seed fell among thorns this is verse 7 the thorns grew up with it and choked it and in his explanation of that in verse 14 as for the seed that fell among thorns these are the ones who when they have heard go on their way and are choked with worries riches and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit and what i take from that is just that it is really easy for people to you know agree to a biblical idea in one situation and to really be on board with that and then upon contact with the world just lose all that enthusiasm there there's an old um war strategy quote that says no plan survives contact with the enemy and in a similar way i think that it's so easy for any 
plan for biblical growth or spiritual growth to not survive first contact with the enemy, which is, you know, just the world out there. And I, I, as I'm talking about this, I'm reminded of a quote from one of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically the silver chair, which one of, one of my favorite in that, in, in that series, they're, they're all very good. But at the beginning of that book, Aslan, the lion that is representative of God is speaking with the main character of the book and is about to send her on a mission into Narnia. She's with him in his like far off country. And he says, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And one of the themes that occurs in the book, the rest of the book, is that these very clear instructions that Aslan gave to her in that far country on top of a mountain do get confused in her mind. And she finds that um, instructions that she received, she's not following as well as she should have. And she's only in hindsight realizing, oh, that's what Aslan was talking about. And so that metaphor that he gives of clear air versus thick air you know when you are in a moment of bible study or of group discussion of um even like listening to a sermon it's so easy to be like the air is clear this is what i need to do and then the instant you go outside that thick air comes in confuses your mind or as jesus says you get choked out with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and you're not producing mature fruit anymore. And so I think that's just so easy for so many people to do, including myself, especially myself. And man, I love C.S. Lewis. I think that's a a great uh, analogy there. For me, I think it's really interesting what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. And part of you is like, are my ears for anything else? Like, like if you have ears to hear, listen. And it's like, uh, one, I'm pretty sure. I mean, maybe that dude that Peter decided to get a little too handsy with in the garden, like he didn't have ears. He had an ear. And again, he just put it back on at least. But still, like, feel like, you know, most people have ears and um, ears are for listening. So, like, that's. Did you have to say that, Jesus? Like, you know, what, what, and um, I think this clearly parallels with, you know, what he's talking about in verse 10 and hearing that they may not understand. And so he's calling them to not just, uh, you know, hear, but to listen. You know, you have ears to hear, so therefore listen. Those are are two different words in the Greek and two different words in the English. Uh, So Mm. it kind of parallels well there you know to to hear you know you ever have the, the the old conversation where it's like yeah one time this person was talking to me and they said are you even listening and i was like that's a weird way to start a conversation um you know <laughs> it's it's kind of like that you know and we as humans tend to need that reminder all too often and what is also interesting is, is jesus is, is here calling people Anyone who has ears to hear, listen. But the crowd doesn't get the explanation. Mm -hmm. Only the disciples get the explanation. 
The disciples come up to him and, and say, hey, will you explain this? And he, he says to the disciples what the meaning of the parable is, but he doesn't say it to the crowd. And so the crowd is left to sit, to chew, to ruminate on what he just said. Um, and so he ends with, you know, you know, if you have ears to hear, listen to my words. Uh, and I think, I think that's really an interesting ending point for Jesus. Yeah, I, I think that it's worth noting that when we say the disciples, we are not excluding, we're not boiling that down to just the 12, right? Because like even earlier in this passage, we find out that we've got Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna like in this group. Like the disciples are the ones that have dedicated themselves to following him as opposed to the crowds that just want to come to to hear a good word and get healed. And... I think there is an element of intentionality involved with being someone who has ears to hear and being intentionally there to listen. And it's not that Jesus was you know, drawing a circle around himself and being like, okay, I'm going to say nonsense to y'all and then actually talk to just these 12 guys right here. And, you know, the same is true of the Sermon on the Plain that we went over in two chapters ago, back in chapter six, the Sermon on the Plain was directed to the disciples, but that's not just the 12, that's the people that were, you know, just close to him and were actually following him as he's going town to town, you know, who is willing to, to leave their life behind to follow Jesus. Mm. But that's what it says about people. What gospel connections can you draw from, from this passage? Verse 15 it's it's pretty clear, um, you know, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who hearing the word with an honest and good heart hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. And there are two instances where Jesus says, you will know they are my disciples by, he says, um, two separate occasions, he says, you will know they are my disciples by their love for one another. Would we be known as a people who loved? And he said, you will know they are my disciples by their fruit. Would we be a people that produces good fruit? Mm-hmm. And so if, if the gospel is the good news of, of the Son of Man who came to seek those who are, are the marginalized, those who are going to be thrown on the outside, that uh, as it says, the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, if... If that is his story, that, that he came to save a broken humanity, and that in that we we get to be part of the redemption, that you know, the the great commission is go therefore and make disciples, so it is as you are going is probably a better translation of what's what's saying there in the Greek. A Robbie Gallaty uh, says that, this, uh, that the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. And so would we be a people that produces fruit? Not that we would worship the fruit, not that we would idolize the fruit, but that, that we could see the fruit and know that God is working. Uh, and all too often, I'm, I'm guilty of worshiping the fruit or, or looking at the fruit and saying, wow, look at this. But in all actuality, you know, look at Jeremiah. His fruit was obedience. His fruit wasn't numbers. <laughs> you know, he... So faithfulness was not measured in, uh, in, in mm-hmm. numbers and success. It's, it's measured in obedience. And obedience is uh, fruit, too, if you remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Um, 
that's not the only fruit, obviously, but that's the fruit of the Spirit discussed in Galatians. But my main point is that uh, don't worship the numbers, because uh, mm-hmm. all too often you can confuse the gifts of God for God, and that's not what we are mm-hmm. called to do. Tez, what do you see? I'm going to draw this one, once again, credit where credit is due, if um, you were there at that sermon by Dr. Chad Shattuck, but the seed is always good, and the seed is always ready to do its work. Yes, our soil, our response to it is going to affect the growth, but we don't ever have to worry about whether we've been given a bad seed or a dead seed, or something less than the best that God has for us. And, you know, you can have the most fertile soil imaginable, but if there is no seed in that, there's not going to be any growth. And in the same way in our hearts, you know, it doesn't matter like what our heart looks like, how receptive we're going to be. It is God who came and planted that seed within us, who planted his word. And he's the one that, brings about that growth through the word and so ultimately the responsibility for your spiritual growth is not on you it's on god and he is the most trustworthy individual that we could imagine to to have the responsibility for that growth dr chad coming in clutch and as we as we finish the dbs questions sam what is a good application that you can draw from the text this week. All too often I find myself preoccupied with the worries of life. And I'm worried about this or tomorrow or five years from now, or even, you know, what my life is going to look like in a matter of weeks, you know. And verse 14 says, And as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones when they have heard go on their way and are choked with the worries, riches and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. And I, I, as I examine my life, I have to question, you know, if worries, anxiety, questions I have about the future, if, if I'm so preoccupied with worrying about those that I'm not producing mature fruit, it's not that you're not producing fruit. You can look, like, look at this little baby apple. I go, look at it. It's great. Look at it. It's like, look at me. I'm doing my D group. Yay. And it's like, hold up. And it's not, it's a mature fruit. You know. And that's one of those, like, there's not really a practical thing as much as it is like a, a chewing on cud type thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What about you, man? What do you got going on? I mean, I'm going to draw it from that same exact passage. I'd hope so. We are in Luke chapter 8. Right, the, but the, the same verse. <laughs> you know, I gave my, my Narnia quote earlier, and I definitely don't do anything to keep the air around me from being thick. Like, there's some circumstances where, like, I don't have much control over that. Like, the air in the emergency room is about as thick as it gets. But <laughs> oh. whenever whenever... I am alone at home. I just allow myself to be awash in sounds, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube video, music, like I am afraid of silence. And this is something that I that I 
am convicted of frequently and that I confess almost as frequently and always express a desire to do something about it to change it. You know, I make a commitment, oh, in the mornings before work, I'm not going to watch Netflix anymore. But oops, I started watching YouTube and it's like, okay, I'll stop watching YouTube. I'll read a book instead. No, I'm reading a book instead. And it's like, I just get to the point where I'm afraid to be alone, to be bored, to be, you know, in silence. And this has been a you know, me being vulnerable, you know, this has been something that's been going on for long enough that it's like, why do I keep bringing it up if it's, if nothing has ever changed until this point? And as I was reflecting on it just now, I was like, I come to these conclusions or I come to these strategies out of a sense of obligation. It's like, oh, I know the right thing would be to clear the air a little bit and just allow God to speak to me if he wants to. But I don't hate the things that thicken the air. I don't hate that I am stuck searching for the next piece of entertainment or the next thing to, to fill my mind. And is, is it sinful for me to be doing these things? I think it's, it's sinful if it's keeping me from the mature fruit that God has for me. And if you don't hate your sin, then no amount of white knuckling it and clenching your fist is going to be able to get you to stop it and so maybe what i need to do is just reflect on the impact that that kind of living has on my life and has on my relationship with god and relationship with others and you know develop a a a hatred for the ways that it has become sin for me and Mm -hmm. maybe that's the way to bring about change yeah i'm also chewing cud but i that's a reflection that i had Mm. It's a it's a cud kind of day. It's a it's a cuddy day. <laughs> Pretty cuddy. Instead of a cr- cruddy, it's a cuddy. Okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Taz, instead of ending in a draft, today doesn't feel like a good day for a draft uh, for me. There's been a lot going on, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you are aware of you know everything that happened, particularly uh, in Nashville recently. And man, I, I, I wanted to, to read something and then ask your opinion on it. And so in the, the wake of it, there's been a lot of question about the shooter and and particular identity groups they belong to and this and that. And that's led to uh, some pretty heinous things being said that I've read from people who would claim the name of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you've loved those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. Taz, what would what would you say to the Christian who finds himself frustrated or angry about what happened with everything in Nashville? How would you respond to that person? How Jesus would respond? Well, first off, you know they're strong emotions in the face of a tragedy like that are understandable. And, you know, perhaps it would be more concerning if our response to something like this was apathy. But if your response to this particular tragedy is over and above in a, in a spectacular way, like what your response would be to any other kind of shooting or any other similar situation, and if the reason for that is because it was a Christian school and because it was a, a, a transgender shooter, that I think should be concerning to you. Why is your response mediated by the tribalism? You know, my, um, I, I co-lead a group of seventh graders at my church and we meet on Wednesday nights. And for the past couple of weeks, a couple of my students have, during prayer request time, raised the prayer request of, just asking that anyone who might be in a mental state where they're considering, you know, doing something like this, you know, going into a school and shooting it up. And the thing that they pray for is that they would get help and that they would receive help from God and then from other people so that they wouldn't end up making that decision. And hearing that come from seventh graders, it was so encouraging to me because it's like, you know, one response could be, just anger and you know let's get them let's send them to jail let's take away their rights blah 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 but hearing instead a desire you know how can we see the humanity in in people who are going through difficult horrific things and who you know are turning to difficult and horrific means to deal with that pain like how can how can we call upon god to help with that how can we even keep our eyes open in our own lives to see people who might be going through something and offer a helping hand rather than ostracizing. Because the, the dual tragedy here is that, yes, people died from a shooter, but also that circumstances in life and decisions led someone to become a shooter in the first place. And... I think that, you know, from a pragmatic perspective, we should definitely work on trying to find ways to respond to situations, to increase safety and all that. But man, wouldn't it be great if we could create an environment in a society where these situations just became ever more and more rare because people actually cared about each other the way Jesus would call us to? Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Follow on Twitter, where we are at Front Report, or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. 
We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. transition and go ahead you're muted happens again i had a southwest flight going over sorry um that's all i have to say about that i think i figured it would end there it's kind of a, a good ending spot unless well the outro is pre-recorded yes. so we don't need to do an outro so it's